Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then what do you want us to go and gather? Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in the gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I am Pastor Corey, one of the associates here at Orange, and it truly has not gotten old to see your beautiful faces in person, really. Um, But we are so grateful if you're worshiping with us or online, we are so happy that God has called you to this place today. And this week, as Pastor Adam said, we are continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. And Pastor Adam, two weeks ago, began our series by focusing on that first phrase, our Father who art in heaven. And then last week, continuing with, hallowed be thy name. And he talked about how we make God's name holy. We hallow God's name by the way that we reflect love in the world. And so this week, we're considering the next part of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and that Christians have prayed for thousands of years. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. So we're thinking through what do these words mean when we pray them, and what did Jesus mean when he taught us to pray them? The message translation of this passage from Matthew 6 actually translates thy kingdom come as set the world right. Set the world right. Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, and set 
the world right. And as we think about and consider both of these phrases, these translations, what really stands out to me, what resonates about this specific phrase is that there is something that God's kingdom offers. There is something that God's vision, God's dream for our world possesses that is not yet fully a reality. God's ultimate hope for us is not where we find ourselves right now. We are praying each time we utter those words, thy kingdom come, that God's kingdom would come about and that the world would be set right. So if the world needs to be set right, then that means that something is not right. And I don't think it would take many of us much time to identify or name ways that we might witness how things are not right. We know we constantly witness these things, and it didn't take Jesus much time to recognize that truth as he shared those parables in Matthew's gospel with this crowd, this crowd that needed healing, needed nourishment, needed saving. And he shared these strange stories of weeds and of wheat and of mustard seeds and of hidden yeast, and he was telling them, I know things aren't right, but God is literally here to make it right. And as I said, we know this. We know things are not right. That division, economic, social, political, it dominates our headlines. We know or we see, and sometimes we try not to see, that 25,000 people every single day still die of hunger in our world. That nearly a billion people are categorized as undernourished around the globe. There are 27 million refugees right now. We witness 4 million people worldwide die from COVID in the last year or so. I don't think I have to argue my case when I say something is not right here. So much brokenness, so much disease, so much pain surrounds us and impacts us. But how do we approach this reality, this truth that not all is right. Honestly, some of us, probably a lot of us, are able to just kind of ignore it. Uh, We turn off the television or scroll through our social media quick enough uh, not to see those headlines. Some of us get to live in such a way that our current current reality, even despite all that is not right in the world, it's still pretty all right for us. We have enough. We have enough food. We have enough peace, enough happiness, enough money, enough community even. We have enough to get by. In the kingdom that we live in, we are mostly concerned with meeting our own needs, of protecting our own resources, of making sure all is right in our own little world. And this, one, this is one kingdom we live in. We live here. The one that's dictated by the question, do I have what I need? That's where I live a lot of the time. Can I just manage the brokenness in my own little world? Can I get by today? Am I all right? That's where we live, the kingdom we live in a lot of the time. Then there's this other kingdom that bubbles up and it calls to us. It's, it's the kingdom we pray for when we gather as a collective body when, or when we approach God in our own personal prayer, it's that kingdom we pray for. 
thy kingdom come. It's the kingdom we encounter every single time we approach the communion table, being assured that God's dream where everyone has a seat, no matter what, is being fulfilled. It's the kingdom we witness to when we stand by as someone is baptized or confirmed, and we believe it actually matters. It's the kingdom we long for when we send our middle schoolers to South Carolina, the hottest place in the world, to rebuild someone's deck that they don't know. It's the kingdom we cling to when we profess that resurrection and not death has the final word. It's the kingdom we actively believe Jesus set in motion when he announced his ministry in Luke chapter 4. When he entered this world and began a controversial and sacrificial and offensive ministry by telling the world, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is being made a reality in and through him. And this message was and still is really good news for the sick and the hungry and the thirsty and the hurting and the imprisoned and the sin stricken to those whose worlds were and still are not right. But for those whose worlds are or were all right, namely those who benefited from the Roman kingdom, God's kingdom was threatening and dangerous. Jesus' gospel wasn't necessarily good news for the powerful, the religiously powerful, the economically powerful, the politically powerful. And that's why we witness Jesus' persecution and eventual execution in such a public way. Not everyone wants thy kingdom to come. Not everyone wants thy kingdom to come. Jesus' kingdom isn't good news for the world because it dismantles it, it upends it. It says, even if you are all right, not everyone and everything else is, and that is a problem for God. And as much as the kingdom of the world tries to resist Jesus' kingdom to protect itself, to preserve its own self-interest, Jesus' kingdom, the one we pray for, when we come and utter those words, thy kingdom come, it's already in motion. Even if we cannot see it, it isn't glamorous. It's not the kingdom of castles or of military power. It is not flashy. It is humble, ordinary, like a mustard seed, something that grows almost weed-like. And people worry about it getting out of hand. It is moldy, sour yeast, not the packet you get in the grocery store. That is placed into bread to make it more than it should be, to make it nourishing, to make it rise and stretch beyond what our imaginations could ever envision. It is often hidden. The kingdom we pray for, it's not yielding a crown full of jewels. It is born in a dirty stable. But somehow, it's enough. Somehow it's more than enough. God's dream unfolds and reveals that God, in God's kingdom, there is more than enough for everyone. Not more for some and less for others, but there is more than enough for every single person and that every human has value, not because they've earned it, but because they've been endowed by being God's very creation. God's kingdom 
is the dream that says, even a murderer like Moses can be redeemed and lead his people. It's a dream that says an outsider, a Moabite like Ruth, can find a place in Jesus' lineage. It's a dream that says the youngest and scrawniest brother can become the king of Israel. It's a dream that says a poor girl in Bethlehem can nurture and grow the savior of the world in her humble womb. Jesus' kingdom does not make sense to our worldly kingdom. Its economics are completely ridiculous, unreasonable, and unfair. Grace for all. No one is excluded, even if you don't deserve it. That's all of us. Jesus' kingdom said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who look around them and see that not all is right. Not all is right for everyone. So not all is right for anyone. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying not just for the world to be made right for us, but for the world to be made right for all of creation. We are praying for that vision from Revelation to come into its fullness, that new heaven and new earth. For I saw the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. The old kingdom has passed away. We pray those words, thy kingdom come, and we pray them knowing that Jesus has entered into our world so that we could see firsthand what this kingdom looks like. So we could see that if things aren't right for one of us, things aren't right for any of us. Jesus reveals that as Jesus died and rose again for each of us but also for all of us. And because of that death and resurrection, we've been given a vision. We have been given a mission. Thy kingdom come to be active partners, kingdom builders. We're called to be kingdom builders and continuing to bring about the kingdom of Jesus ushered in when he became like one of us. We are to be in the business of kingdom living so that our words and our prayers are not empty, but active. Active in bringing about God's kingdom. Active and reflective in the ways that we choose to live and be in this world. We pray for the building of God's kingdom and then we build it with God. I recently came across a story about a chef, Jose Andre, and he wrote a book called We Fed an Island, the true story of rebuilding Puerto Rico one meal at a time. And in it, he tells the story about attempting to provide food in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria to the people of Puerto Rico. Now, he is a renowned chef and culinary expert. You may not know this, but he is the person who put the word tapas in our mouths. 
And he took on this mission of feeding people in Puerto Rico after their lives had been decimated. And through his coordination efforts and his vision, he helped provide nearly four million meals to people who were in desperate need. His culinary cuisines have been served to the richest and most powerful people in the world. He has two Michelin stars and countless awards. And yet, reflecting on his own experience in Puerto Rico as a person of deep faith, a kingdom builder, he shared that prayers only get us so far. If we learn anything from Jesus, it was that he was a man of action, a person that speaks out against whatever is wrong and needs to be fixed. He continues, to be a person of faith cannot be just the day you come to Mass and ask for forgiveness and your sins would wash away and that's it. I believe the hardest is the moment when you leave the doors of the church. That is when you have to be the person of action of the same person you embrace. He was a man, and he gave a massive amount of love for this world. Christ was a person of action every single second of his life. So if we're really embracing him, embracing him means to be like him. We can never be like him, and we'll always fall short. But it's our obligation, if we are people of faith, to at least try the hardest to do a little bit more than maybe what was expected of us. We are called to be kingdom builders. Thy kingdom come. To be a follower of Jesus is to pray thy kingdom come and then to live out that belief that the kingdom is coming, that the kingdom is actively being realized among us by the way we live. By the way, we choose to see that if everything is not right for all of us, then everything is not right for any of us. We as disciples live as ones who actively seek to bring about thy kingdom. And we as Christ's bodies, as mustard seeds and moldy yeast, not fancy but nurtured by the Holy Spirit in God's grace, we are able to do more and be more for God's kingdom until Christ does come in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. Let us pray. O sovereign God, in Jesus Christ, you set your holy reign upon this earth and within your people. So let its coming be like a mustard seed that grows into greatness and like the leaven that mixes with the grain until the whole becomes greater and thy kingdom comes. Praise be to the triune God who lives forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.